Meanwhile, I'm looking for a great warrior. Wars oh. <laughs> not make one great. <laughs> wow, this place is great. Yeah. If you could just go ahead and make sure you do that from now on, that would be great. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Hall of Greatness. This week, we are talking about a subject I know less about, sports. So, However, you do know about the subtext of this discussion, ethics. I do. I do. Because so, he's a very yeah. ethical man, you as are far a, as I can tell. You are a very ethical person. I 785 try. miles away. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Your check is in the mail. Uh, <laughs> so once again, uh, we've we've brought in our ringer Joe uh, to to talk about this subject, which is that's an extreme oversell, my friend. You don't disappoint the audience <laughs> this early into the podcast. <laughs> well, we need his Jonas. <laughs> we do. We need. Uh, Thanks for all he's right. shown us. <laughs> uh, so. Um, what what we're going to talk about is why you should do lots of drugs and why drugs are good. <laughs> <laughs> right. So so this this stems from a discussion I've had with Andy and I've had with Joe actually individually. So it's it's really great that I could uh, get both of you in the same virtual room and all three of us could talk about this. It's very and, tidy here. And the the premise is, and it's probably one we'll revisit in written form in fact there'll be a written uh, companion piece to this where we talk about some of the theories we're talking about here because we didn't want to belabor the point of going through utility and and pragmatism with the everyone logical yeah what? i think you'll all uh the eyes will glaze over like my students do <laughs> but uh, no i want i wanted an entire episode on deontology <laughs> come on <laughs> so so the two questions that that i pose to each one of you is can we argue that performance enhancing in certain things can be ethically justified by the additional greatness it causes mm -hmm. and sub uh, contextually is that greatness worth it okay so what i what i'd like is to talk a little bit about uh, what performance enhancement is uh, what these ethical standards are how they would vary between a couple of different um, industries mm -hmm. let's say music and art versus sports baseball in particular uh, and then what are we going to do about it so uh what what i'd like to do is let's think about so andy if i say performance enhancement to you what do you think of steroids human okay. growth hormone uh okay. testosterone is, is okay. that what people use i i think that's what they use <laughs> Well, Whatever I'm not saying which ones Drago you have in, your home. in Rocky Four. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not asking which ones you have in your home. Oh. <laughs> Just which ones? You, oh, well, which ones? Well, do you we've think about? got uh, we've got some Prozac and we've got some. Yeah, okay. no. Well, and that that lends to a really interesting point. So, so Joe, what do you think of when you think of performance enhancement? I think my earliest memories in with sports being our main context today, it would be definitely be steroids, okay. is what everybody always talked about as I sort of have thought more about over the last couple of decades, I think there's these artificial categories that people create of sort of, is it something that's yours, like in your body versus something you're putting in or adding? Okay. And then is it sort of natural versus artificial? Okay. So that if I eat a salad, that's natural. If I eat this pill, that's artificial. And that makes the difference. Okay. Uh, I always wonder about this and to both of your points, 
uh, Andy, you came about it from what felt more like the sports angle, like you used traditional performance enhancing things that felt very sports related, right? Joe, you brought up kind of more of a thematic performance enhancing. One of the things that always frustrates me is I think we're judged from an athletic perspective differently than we're judged as a, a normal quote unquote person. So for instance, I would pose that performance enhancement are things like LASIK, mm -hmm. Ambien, uh, targeted nutrition plans that mm -hmm. only certain people can afford, uh, massage therapy, like anything that causes you to be more effective mm -hmm. in whether you're an athlete or not is in reality performance enhancement. So the struggle that I have, mm -hmm. and, and Joe weigh in on this after I finish this part, uh, I feel like it's disingenuous to judge an athlete by them taking something when I can go get LASIK and mm -hmm. be better at what I do. Yes. Why would that be the discrepancy? Like, what, what do you think, Joe, about, about the, why that's different? Somebody I think is honestly just artificial created by the culture at the time of an event so that people wearing eyeglasses has happened for so long that LASIK is thrown in with that. You're improving your vision. Well, of course you would. Why wouldn't you? That's a normal, natural thing to do. Okay. But steroids with the stereotype of, oh, it makes you super strong, powerful Popeye without the spinach, but you're getting it from this shady doctor to the side. Right. That's a no go. Okay. That's just bad and wrong. So Andy, from a non-sports perspective, uh, not saying that you are not our sports guru, but um, well, I'm not. kind of self-selecting yeah. out of the sports mm -hmm. venue. Yeah. What does that discrepancy mean well, in your really, mind? Like how, yeah, it's really it interesting. Like? I mean, I think because you talk about LASIK and there, there's sort of this idea that LASIK is corrective. Like it, it would 2020 is the standard you have a defect in your vision. We're going mm -hmm. to give you LASIK and uh, we're going to put you back to 2020, even though in many cases, corrective LASIK can get people to like 2015. So uh, that, that would be performance mm -hmm. enhancement. But the idea behind LASIK is that it's supposed to be corrective for a flaw. So it's seen as like, yeah, that's, that's, that's okay. That's, that's normal. Just like anything. Whereas, uh, you know, any sort of drug that you put into your system is seen as artificial. And I, I do agree that that is where the, the standard sort of is, which is interesting to me because one of the things that uh, people are sometimes accused of doping with is their own blood, where especially on the Tour de France, it was like right. mm -hmm. Lance Armstrong was supposedly you know, uh, putting aside pints of his own blood and then would replenish himself uh, throughout the tour with fresh blood uh, that had more uh, other nutrients and, and other things in mm -hmm. it that would be, you know, depleted in a 20-mile-long bike ride every day. So uh, does is that artificial? I mean, technically, no. I mean, that's all Lance Armstrong that's going back into him. But... Is it, is it cheating? And I think that's where the argument comes down to is the idea is this is a sport. It's a game. Are you cheating? Are you getting an unfair advantage over someone else? 
we have this idea that sports is a meritocracy. The best should just be the best. And um, mm -hmm. performance enhancement says, no, you, we can add something on top of that. Now, I think those are really strong points. And, and to the corrective piece, I think that leads into all of these lead down a rabbit hole of definitions and analogies, where if my testosterone's a little low, because I see it on every commercial, it's telling me I might have low T and I should ask my doctor, <laughs> is that now just oh, corrective? I should ask my doctor if I have low T. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is that a corrective piece as well that, oh, I'm on testosterone, but that's okay because I have low T. And so it's like corrective, just like LASIK. Right. Well, and that... That leads to a couple points where, to your point about Lance Armstrong. So if I work a very demanding sales job and I travel a lot and I spend my own blood so I can stay awake more and make more sales calls and make more sales money, would I not then be judged to be an unfair salesperson to the other salespeople in my office? If you're getting the bonuses or that's your... Tour de France wins, right. yeah, that is unfair to me. But how interesting that the system that the salesperson would be in would not judge them harshly. They would say, thank you for bringing in all these sales. Exactly. Whereas, but but we'll talk about this in a bit. I, so that's what Al Pacino's secret yeah. was in Glengarry <laughs> yeah. Glen Ross. Glen sales. Yeah. It, right. But I, I, I think we'll talk about the system in a minute because I think that the system itself is is interestingly flawed in that regard. What we're, what we're kind of leading into is... There's the, the basic premise is pragmatically doesn't make sense from a utility perspective. Does using these things cause a greater happiness for a greater number of people? Uh, deontologically, is it, is it everybody's decision to do what they want in terms of a universal law? And I think if we're looking at these, it's hard to not make the argument that if I am a sports star, to your point about putting on a show, if I'm a sports star, I can say taking performance enhancers causes more people to be happy than not. Secondly, it's my business and I wouldn't want to tell anyone else they couldn't do it if it helps them get better at their job. And thirdly, pragmatically, if it works, I can do it. So I think the bind that I find myself in with a little bit of the self-righteous performance enhancing judges that, that come down, especially in sports, is I don't know that the argument against it is quite as sound as people like Andy, to your point, this cheating thing. I don't think you can sell this cheating thing quite as well because of the career and the requirements that this puts on people. Like a rod always said, he felt like he was responsible for, you know, helping his team win and making people happy and all this kind of stuff. But isn't that the very nature of what utility is, for example, it's creating greater happiness at smaller people's expense. So anyway, uh, I'm I'm kicking that out there. I don't mean to only pick utility because I think it's it's not always the easiest ethical theory to justify. But in this case, I'm interested in both of your thoughts about the ethics piece of. I mean, we've talked about kind of what performance enhancement is, but ethically, what does that mean? I think you could make a very strong argument that if everybody is happy with the outcome and nobody's being forced into it and nobody is getting hurt by it and everybody's doing it what you're doing is you're just enhancing the the playing field you're you're essentially allowing baseball players to use aluminum bats now instead of wooden bats and that's just going to be the new way it is because we'll get more home runs that way 
you could argue that would be very interesting. You know, maybe maybe we should do that. Maybe there's nothing really that wrong with it. But I'll be the first person to say that there are a lot of assumptions based in that baked into that idea that this is somehow a virtuous circle and that everything is actually okay with that. So in your vein, and then Joe, I'll jump in on this, uh, or, or the, the previous point, I know a lot of people use that virtue ethics of these people are role models, and how could you do this when there are people looking up to you who would then use steroids or things that are harmful to them at a young age? So you go from, say, act utility to rule utility, where even though it one person causes the greatest happiness for the greatest number in this instance, it creates a dangerous trend where all sorts of people are going to want to do it who maybe aren't as capable or aren't as defined as an athlete. And then that actually causes more harm to the society because of the, the rampant usage or need for it. But anyway, to either of those points. I was just on your side with utility, and now you've told me the utility has gone away because the children, what about the what children? What about the children? <laughs> About these children. <laughs> I did not add that to my hedonic calculus. <laughs> I specifically, I, I have failed you. You're all good. Um, no, I think what everybody's saying, I, it's, a, it's a great topic that I think gets short shrift in a lot of major news media outlets because of time or other reasons. There is the hypocrisy of what's on the list versus not. And it does bring utility and as Andy was saying, if the harm is little or none and it's an equal playing field, why don't you do this? Oh, it's because you're a cheater. Well, aren't all these other things ways of cheating? So just the level of sort of either logical inconsistency or up the spectrum hypocrisy, depending on what term you'd like to use. I think we see it. And then maybe the question is, why don't other people see it? Why aren't we just allowing all these things out there? Um, and Andy and I talked a little earlier of where does this notion come from that we need a level of purity in our sports or achievements? And mm, why is it such a bad thing if, oh, it's a scandal if they did this? Well, I think the idea and is, so- oh, back in the old day, Ty Cobb used to do it clean and that was good enough for me. Babe Ruth hit 67 home runs in blah, 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 and that's that means Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire. Babe Ruth never hit 67 home runs. <laughs> Side note, <laughs> Babe Ruth never hit 67. Yeah, I don't runs. know. I'm so, 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 so. <laughs> it's okay. Six, six, zero, six, there was a, there you was got a the 60s. Oh, yeah. you, you, you are close good. You didn't say 38, which okay. is good. <laughs> or 138. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think some of it is that sort of notion of we lived in a um, lack of information bubble where we just saw what the news portray these at i mean we're doing a lot of sports we can broaden it to other back to your you know salesforce but our sports figures they were protected by the newspaper writers and they chose not to write about certain things so we assume that everybody was clean when clearly they weren't and we there's plenty of information out about most historical figures now that yeah they had their downsides and and uh, foibles as well and so none of those people were doing it clean back in the day or right. i shouldn't say none most people were doing something and and i think that goes to that that notion of clean because all the three of us talked about the flaw in the system. You know, as long as we think the system works, most people are, are happy with it. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, you read 
books or, or anecdotes where people say that everybody's still doing something. Right. It just it gets better and better than the, the testing. So as long as right. as long as we think it's okay, then mm-hmm. the system is happy with it. But that that leads me to that weird quandary, like you mentioned. Hey, if I'm your coworker and you're kicking my butt in sales because you're on stuff, on stuff then I'm upset. And I wonder if part of that is this baseball writer, for example, where all of a sudden they're up in arms about these people being quote unquote cheaters, which leads me to two things. One, when did that change? Mm -hmm. Because I don't know that there's really a huge public outcry per se. People may initially be upset, but when home runs go down and Mm -hmm. baseball games end up two to one, the masses generally get pretty upset about what happens to baseball. On the second end, who would the baseball writer be to judge a sport they don't play mm-hmm. and a situation which in given the similar circumstance when are they i don't want to say without sin casting the first stone but mm-hmm. how do you judge someone's performance when who knows what you're doing or mm-hmm. you've never been in their shoes so uh what about this system flaw because you know andy you mentioned if we took drugs out of the rock and roll hall of fame and called everybody cheaters we wouldn't have any records we wouldn't have any albums <laughs> right so what right. is it about? hey hey john lennon go write sergeant peppers without taking any right. drugs yeah. Yeah. Oh, Reznor, okay. give up the booze and see how good the first couple nine inch nails what happened were. to metallica they so they used to be so good oh wait they were on things oh yeah <laughs> and then they got sober and got a therapist and uh, made a bad documentary and bad music <laughs> So, hey, 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 so, well, so here's an interesting question. I want to take this in a completely different direction then. And let's talk about someone outside of sports, because one of the things that, that I talked about is, is, is anybody getting harmed? So Robert Downey Jr., a very talented actor, had a lot of problems with drugs. Um, he was doing mountains of cocaine, but everyone's like, well, but what do we do? He's, he's putting out really great movies. Like, did you see Chaplin? He got nominated for an Academy Award. And you could say like, that was very much fueled by his drug and alcohol problems, but it got so bad. He, he went to prison (laughs) He had to go to rehab several times, but then he got clean and we got into the uh, post-drugs sort of Downey Jr. renaissance of blockbusters of Sherlock Holmes and Iron Man and and all of that. Um, Was getting Downey Jr. off drugs important? Probably yes, because he probably would have been dead. And then we never would have gotten Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Right. Like, so you could then make the argument that it was important to stop him, even though it was fueling his creativity to to do those things. So where do you draw the line? And at what point do you say we we have to get people to be clean? And like, it's very easy to make that case when we're talking about cocaine and heroin and much harder to make that case when you're talking about steroids and marijuana. When you think of getting people off it, do you think in terms of no usage or that they are no longer abusing it where it's negatively impacting their life? Like, is there a middle ground 
both in the Robert Downey Jr. sense or in any other sense of if you can use these responsibly, whatever that works for you. Under a medical professionals. And it adds to your performance. Are we doing the wrong thing in taking away utility by removing that substance or enhancement from you? And so that's the question of use versus abuse. Mm -hmm. If, uh, you know, for an addict, there is no amount that is too small under which they could use it, that it would not have a negative consequence. For a non-addict, they may be able to use, you know, tons of certain substances and not have it be a problem at all. So it, it makes it very hard to draw a line because that changes from person to person. And it's hard to have like a societal rule of like, no, you can't use drugs, Robert Downey Jr., because you you have the addict gene and you're you're addicted. Um, mm-hmm. But hey, you know Trent Reznor, um, keep boozing it up because you know the fragile was really great. <laughs> yes, it was. It was. <laughs> <laughs> Let's all take a moment and reflect on that. The truth <laughs> of that statement. <laughs> um, I, I think. I think the the systems one of the systems flaws is that very thing where i think we have a lot of instances where we're okay with the use i think even today i don't think the system in baseball cares if you use performance enhancers i think they care if you abuse them and you get caught because then everyone's got egg on their face and they have to do something about it but who the arbiter is of adding those two letters to the beginning of use Mm -hmm. is the difficulty that I have because I don't know that the public really cares that much. Uh, In fact, there seems to be this common feeling that if you get caught today, it's okay because people will forget Mm -hmm. four hours from now that, that you were on something, you know, and people will forgive you and your home crowd especially will Mm -hmm. just welcome you back with open arms and those kinds of things. But I wonder, Andy, to your point, who that who that arbiter is, because I mean, ethically, uh, I, I think we as individuals know when when our limit is. But I don't know if the system the system wants utility. The system wants, hey, if you're making people happy and you're doing these kinds of things, and mm-hmm. I mean, we can make anything a universal law if everybody's okay. So That's I fine. I I wonder to answer your question. I wonder who the arbiter of use versus abuse is. I think the Robert Downey Jr. case is 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 a obvious one and a good one because if you're going to die, um, that's where you draw the line, right, Andy? I mean, the, what did you say that, if I remember it correctly, it was when demand requires sacrifice so great that it inhibits the ability of the person to function as a whole person right. and also not coerced, then the line is crossed. Mm-hmm. Right. But I, I think, I mean, you said that much more eloquently than I did, but I wonder who the arbiter is because I don't think individually we may do that when the system requires so much of us, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. And I, right. I think that it's also different depending on the context we play it into. Like sports is the place we tend to talk about it a lot. And I think it has its own rules as we've talked about, okay. where I think on the other side, it's most people, I think, look at the harm issue, right? If you're causing harm to others, clearly not okay, and we should be looking at that. Harm to yourself, people seem to go two directions. Either they're sort of a judgment piece of you're a moral failure, you're a bad person kind of thing if you're doing these things, 
or the people who's more sympathetic of, oh, you're not harming yourself. Can we help you with that and improve things? And I think that goes whether it's family or a movie star or the sales force, same conversation will happen. But sports gets that magic extra piece of you're a cheater. Right. Right. You have sullied the intent and purpose and overall high nature of this event or endeavor. And and that adds a different layer to it that I don't think we see in the other aspects. So you don't think we would see sales numbers at the end of the year with an asterisk by them because someone was on yeah. Adderall the whole year. I think that's a great analogy. That so. yeah, the the you know, world record sales for whatever. No. We don't care what you did while you're on. As long as you didn't hurt anybody else, right. as long as you're pretty much not hurting yourself too much, we'll just mosey along. So Andy, as someone who doesn't follow sports to the extent that Joe or I do, do you 67 see- home runs from Babe Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> Side note, Babe Ruth still never had 67 home runs. Um, do you see any parallels to, to what Joe mentioned in terms of this Sully because yeah. baseball is the paragon of you're selling our sport by cheating, which is such a load of malarkey because this is a sport that's cheated for centuries since it started, right. basically. In fact, it probably started over someone cheating about it. <laughs> um, so, And I love the game. No one loves the game more than me. So it, it, it's it's interesting to make that claim. But do you see any other avenues? I mean, you you've made a really good point about music and art. And the parallel where it's very different uh, in terms of the drug use. Do you see any other institutions that get sullied by this quote unquote performance enhancement? I don't think so. And I think it, I think part of it is due to baseball being so obsessed with their own history and with their statistics and the idea that, you know, Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire's home runs counted less than. Uh, Babe Ruth's home runs uh, because of performance enhancement is exactly about that, that we we can't make an argument that they are somehow equivalent players because because of Mm -hmm. this this artifice that we have. And um, I mean, and that's somewhat what this podcast is all about, is how do we like create a ranking, an idea of what of who the great ones are and uh, does the fact that they may have quote unquote cheated change that? Um, Is it, is it really a cheat or not? Or, or should we just, you know, as, as Joe said, just give into the idea that they were cheating back then too. It's just a different kind of cheating. Mm -hmm. It, It reminds me of the article the three of us read on someone who Mm -hmm. is near and dear to all of our hearts, Dale Murphy. All of us being affiliated with the the great state of Utah. Um, Here is someone who pretty much upheld every ethical standard as you would consider it. Um, Good person to the fans, good family man. No instance of him doing any of what we would call this performance enhancement. Uh, Very good baseball numbers. What many of us would consider Hall of Fame baseball numbers. However, because this person, Dale Murphy, never used any kind of performance enhancement probably did not have more numbers than perhaps he could have. Uh, You know, injuries wore him down. uh, He he retired, whereas maybe other people who would have stayed on something Mm. or done something would have, would have had a much longer career. Uh, The hall of fame um, 
for the for the baseball hall of fame as we'll talk about in a later podcast makes a very big point that who one is as a person should be considered for induction into the hall of fame yet here is the person that they want based on that standard who is not in the hall of fame i think andy to your point one of the struggles sometimes with greatness is how do we justify what greatness really is in terms of definition when it is not manifested by the socio-cultural component that that definition sits in. And I think Dale Murphy is a very tough case for us to consider right. as greatness because by all intents and purposes, he is great. But given that creep. Right. And, and I would argue that as well. And um, his... Uh, you know, I would be very interested in looking at some of like the the saber metrics that, uh, you know, of, because Dale Murphy also played sort of pre Moneyball era, and before uh, most clubs were thinking about them in that way. And uh, but, you know, he he had a different job to do in a certain way. He played most of his career in Atlanta, and was known as that franchise player for the Braves. And because TBS went into so many homes across the country, a lot of people knew who Dale Murphy was and they liked that, uh, you know, that, that clean image and, and the nice guy sportsmanship aspect. And uh, that is not quantifiable when you're talking about a slugging percentage. Uh, you know, even though Dale could hit a lot of home runs just not as many as Jose Canseco or uh, I'm trying to think of other people who were kind of in that right. same era. Well, let, let me let me jump in and give you some of that and then you can finish your thoughts. So people would say that from 82 to 86, he was probably the best center fielder, if not the best player in mm-hmm. the major leagues. He has an MVP, um, they had, you know, in, brought his team to some him two MVPs, in fact, if I remember correctly. Uh, interestingly enough, as with most players who were not considered to be on steroids, played really well until he was early 30s, and then his production tapered off dramatically, mm-hmm. as many people found in in the pre-steroid era that if you didn't take anything, your career kind of petered out between mm-hmm. 33 and 35. Mm-hmm. Joe, is that about what it was? Yes, sir. So if you look at... Um, some of his metrics, he is well above what the average Hall of Famer is by a lot of the statistical metrics. So not only as being the face of a team, but also one of the better players given that that genre. Um, I just want to make sure and, and throw that in there because I think your point is very well made, which is Good point. statistically, does he fit? And I think considered to what an average Hall of Famer is, it would seem like he would at least be as good as most of the people in the Hall of Fame, uh, if not a little greater, mm-hmm. given the era he played in. So anyway, not to jump in, but go ahead and finish your point that you were making. No, I, w- I was mostly done, but one of the, the other things that I wanted to bring up in this is another player who doesn't always get uh, talked about in this instance, and what I believe to be the greatest baseball record of all time is Cal Ripken Jr.'s consecutive game streak. And I think Mm -hmm. that there's an argument to be made that even though he made that in the era of performance enhancement, um, there's there is a quality to that of just showing up 
and working hard and and playing every game uh that is there's a certain amount of character that goes into that that even if he was using performance enhancers and he probably was because he did start kind of picking up a lot of uh uh, better home runs in the in the early 90s, mid 90s, when he was chasing that streak. Um, I, I would argue that that was, you know, that was kind of that virtuous circle right there. That everyone could be happy about that, and everyone could be okay about that. And um, I think that that's, I, I I just think that that's okay, and uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's fun to educate the public sometimes in terms of sometimes they don't always know I think what steroids do or don't do or their capabilities that I think in some people's mind or maybe a lot of people's minds if we put people on a spectrum and zero is your natural talent and hard work and everything else and you're at a zero that steroids put you up to a plus six or whatever but they don't realize that the day after day grind for a lot of these sports I'm not at a zero the next day. I'm in recovery. So I'm actually negative two of my normal self. The steroids get me back to zero. Is that such a bad thing where I can now show the abilities that I have? It's not enhancing it artificially cheating wise. It's getting me back to being able to do what I can do. Which is the LASIK argument. You know, if it's mm-hmm. if it's corrective that corrective. these sports are so demanding that we ask these people to do physical labor that is very hard, and this mm-hmm. just helps them stay healthy. Maybe right. I I mean th- this right. is why I am to a certain extent okay with performance enhancers, especially in baseball. That I I sort of feel like there is that virtuous circle to a certain extent um but again as i said previously that is based on very specific assumptions many of which are not always true well and i think uh to joe's point i i think baseball is interesting in that other sports i think sort of take the performance answer for granted because of it being even more physically demanding i mean Mm -hmm. football and, and basketball because of the not to say that baseball isn't a rigorous sport, but the nature of football and, and basketball, I think performance enhancement gets sort of glossed over. Um, and I know we'll talk about the NFL in particular in later podcasts and football in general. But I think that is that is the difficult ethical quandary is if something that you do causes you to regress below the mean and you do something to get you back to the mean, what is the overarching problem with with that? You know, mm-hmm. if you are a landscaper or a construction worker and you work all day providing for your family and putting things together for your community and it saps the life out of you and you take something at night to get up the next morning mm-hmm. and go back to doing those same things. I don't think anybody's going to go, hey, thanks for putting up all these buildings and taking care of your family. Oh, your blood test came back with. Right. Uh, yeah. So, um I mean, in some cases that becomes more dangerous in the sense of if you're driving a forklift or responsible for that but but in the same vein baseball players are throwing things at at each other and hitting you know batted objects at each other and Mm -hmm. um it 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 lends itself to a different question but yeah i think from all of these ethical theories again a a lot of which will be on the 
in written form on the on the website. I'm I'm with you. These all seem much more corrective when done mm-hmm. reasonably than I mean Joe and I both remember in the 90s when Ken Caminiti and Brian Giles looked like they just walked out of yeah they like they were on Hulk Hogan's training program or something <laughs> and we're like how That's do you even swing a bat yeah <laughs> so I again I think there's a limit and I think most athletes are who who do use performance enhancement are probably getting to that point where they're right. using it reasonably and um, or at least to a point where they don't get caught <laughs> by the system it's such an interesting part to say that ethically you can um, make a case for something that we've been told for so long mm-hmm. is the worst thing that's happened to things that we value, you know. Drugs are bad, okay. <laughs> Steroids are bad, but but human yet, growth hormones bad, but okay. Yet, but yet, so so many people are on that. Just in, I mean, how many people right. tear a shoulder and get on human growth hormone and have right. great recovery time and. Um, and yet they, they turn their back on their favorite baseball player who does mm-hmm. it. It's, it's a really interesting um, double-sided argument. Yep. Before we get to your question you had at the start of the podcast on is the greatness worth it. Okay. Um, question for you both in terms of I'm pretty much okay with people using things in the way we've described them and, and not holding it against people. But is there still something to that fact of like, there's a part of my brain that still sort of reacts positively to a quote unquote natural person or freak of nature athlete kind of thing. Um, almost in the sense of I can appreciate a human crafted sculpture or building or whatever and go, Oh, that was amazing. But then I see something in nature. And I'm just like, Whoa, like we didn't make that. And it's pretty awesome. I still want that in my sport sometimes okay. and, and potentially, maybe even in some other fields we could talk about of I, I like the idea of there being someone who's just talent plus effort. Right. They had the genetics for it. They work their ass off. I think we can swear on here. Can't we? Yeah, can that's fine. Um, and they <laughs> produce something of greatness that didn't need the boost or the push potentially. Right. Um, and so we had talked earlier, like, am I naive if I think, Katie Ledecky is a freak of nature as a teenage swimmer who's literally lapping the competition as a teenager and isn't on something right. or because I, I know inside that most people are on stuff, but there's part of me that just thinks it's kind of cool that people like that could exist. Maybe what yeah. do y'all think about that? Yeah. I mean, we, we all want to believe that magic, right? And I think the problem is that we so want to believe it that when it comes out that it isn't true, and somebody tells us that fairies aren't real, then we get really, really upset. And we, mm-hmm. and you know, we shoot the messenger and we shoot right. uh, the the person who we find out has been on performance enhancing drugs and say, oh, you're a cheater, you're a moral failure. But they were giving you everything that you wanted and you demanded for years previously to that. And mm-hmm. they're doing it because you demand it because you want to see them lap other people because you want more home runs like Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire probably saved Major League Baseball where after the strike viewership was way down attendance Mm -hmm. was way down people were done with baseball and then suddenly out of nowhere oh hey we've got all these guys hitting tons of home runs wow let's let's go check that out let's go watch it this is fun again and we we want mm-hmm. 
to believe it is that virtuous circle. And when that goes away, then in instead of feeling bad about ourselves and the pressure that we are putting on athletes by demanding these things, we castigate them instead, rather than looking at the system that created it in the first Is place. Is it possible then that one can have their cake and eat it too, to a certain degree of that swimmer who was getting lapped by Ledecky, they'd be a fool not to be on something. So if everybody's on something, she's still a freak of nature because right. everybody's on the same stuff. And yep. yet. No, I, I, I tend to think everybody is on something. So Joe's point, I think it's really interesting because I think the Olympics are probably one of the areas when you could assume that somebody is likely clean because of the, the rigorous testing. So to your Katie Ledecky point, more than likely, probably just a freak of nature. But I don't believe any rigorous testing anymore after Lance Armstrong. Like, I don't care who it is. Yeah. They're, they're doing something. And, and I, I agree. I, I just think that if you are going to try sure. and pick a, 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 sport. A, a sport where that's likely true, it would be the Olympics. My interesting thing to both of your points is we do the same things to right. our musicians. But if they're not smoking weed and writing good songs, if they're not doing mushrooms and writing good songs, we actually think less of them mm-hmm. in some ways. And I think that's such a fascinating discrepancy because we both demand the highest of things. It's not easy to write a song. Mm -hmm. It's just as hard to, in some cases, to write a good song as it is to hit a home run. Someone who's done both. (laughs) Consistently (laughs) No, Not against the 98-mile-hour fastball, so let's (laughs) preface that. But I think, Joe, to your point, and, and Andy, to yours as well, it's the same quandary but there's just something different about this Mm -hmm. sports thing and i don't know why like i would never chastise a musician for doing whatever it takes to write a song that i'm gonna that i'm gonna play in my car but i think at the same vein we need to decide which of the two spectrums we're going to have in our society as a whole otherwise Mm -hmm. it's it's just disingenuous and we have two-faced conversations right again we we want to believe that fairy tale that sports is that perfect meritocracy because Mm -hmm. we all know life ain't fair but if we have this outlet where it seems like everything should be fair there are rules you break the rules you get punished you follow the rules and talent and grit and hard work are what bring rewards and we cheer for that and we love the heroism but i mean it's a fairy tale (laughs) And it's why it's one of the reasons why I don't watch sports because I'm so done with the hypocrisy of most of the most of the leagues, and I just can't get into it anymore. And um, that's, I mean, maybe that's a personal problem, but mm-hmm. that I mean, that's one of the reasons why. Yeah. No, I, I, I think you're seeing that a lot in society in general, where people are getting burned out. The question that I have is, so if you're a baseball player. Who plays drums at night mm-hmm. how can you take the drugs mm-hmm. as the drummer mm-hmm. and then go play your baseball game mm-hmm. and be like the drugs were for the drumming mm-hmm. would then people go well i mean he's a drummer <laughs> if it was medically prescribed <laughs> but I, I i just i wonder if there's a case study that somebody would be willing to do like hey i'm a i'm an excellent starting pitcher who also mm-hmm. writes songs right i'm doing it for this reason yeah and then was that was that Doc Ellis's uh, excuse yeah, when, Dave, he, when or, he pitched the no hitter on LSD? Or David Wells. Oh, I was up all night drumming. That's right. Dave. I'm a musician. Yeah, David Wells. Yeah. 
it's it's it sounds so silly to ask that, but at the same time, that would be one of the weird mm-hmm. cultural examples of if you get caught doing it for one reason, how right. would it affect what happens to you in the other one? I was trying to think of other examples, and what popped in my head was like the the quiz show scandal okay. that came out. Right, like I guess if like today, if on Jeopardy, it, was, it would be our generation's equivalent. That if all of a sudden you found like people were getting thrown the answers, and it was just for the ratings that people would be kind of pissed about that in a way they wouldn't be about a musician using that. There is something about the sort of ethics of competition or rules that seems to be big in our DNA. And and yeah, there's definitely some evolutionary rules to that about don't cheat the group. And and that's in your reputation matters that some of that, maybe, maybe there is some, some deeper psychology there that can help explain why we react more in those areas. So the thought would be, enough people can write an album and make money that there isn't as much competition in the drug perspective as right. there's only three of us on Jeopardy. It's, there's it's, only yeah, so many of us. It's more non-zero-sum game than zero-sum game. That's, I think, a really interesting point. And it would break my heart to find out that Ken Jennings ever cheated. <laughs> oh, like that would that would destroy me. That would wreck me. Well, and that's, I mean, and Andy, you're more versed in this than we are. There's a lot of problems with people cheating in Fortnite right overwatch those kinds yeah. of things is the i mean it's not a performance enhancement per se but is that perspective still the same where because it's a competition oh yeah that makes it difficult. i mean my my kids say that all the time they go i call hacks whenever they play and like whenever they see someone doing something in an online game that they think like there's no way they can do that they must have some sort of a cheat enabled they must be hacking mm-hmm. uh, they must be doing something that that allows them to do that and a lot of people are doing that which is why it's so interesting like the rules around esports like when you come into an esports tournament you are on clean machines that nobody else has touched like the players have not played on them uh, so that they can't install anything that's going to give them an advantage and uh, you know but that's the next big frontier and we already see cheating um, we just don't see it to as big of an extent because competitive Call of Duty is not as big of a deal as the NFL yet. I, I'm not familiar enough with esports rules and things. Do they have any kind of drug testing for the competitions that go over long amounts of time, hours, where someone might be able to perform better on something? They do, but I don't know how rigorous it is. And I, I think they're more worried about uh, hacking and like mechanical cheats than they, right. yeah, side. than they are like, oh, someone, you know, someone took some Adderall before the game. Right. So the same kind of performance enhancement, just hardware instead of software per se. Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting component because that is kind of the next wave of where this is going. But I think that's still a... The utility piece of the group aspect is really interesting because I, th- I think at the beginning we talked about if you're creating greater happiness for the greater number, even at the expense of a few of you, you could ethically say you're okay. But I think to what Joe's point is, and, and Andy, you mentioned this too, the very nature of competition implies a larger group of people than the individual itself, right? right. Mm-hmm. So the utility of taking away or improving someone's happiness at the expense of the individual is actually not true because you're also robbing 
your coworkers or your other baseball players or their families mm -hmm. and the kids who look up to you and their potential, right? So it seems like competition morphs into this person, mm -hmm. this like a like a corporation, Andy, we might say. <laughs> um, but like competition has become this other entity which we now have to give its own ethical standard to. Mm -hmm. Which makes absolutely no sense in some ways because every well, I mean, if it's the difference between four million and eight million, people would probably consider it a big deal. Mm -hmm. But again, I think the inconsistency of there's lots of competition. Some are judged harsher than others. That's a good point. Yep. Yeah, I think that's what this really comes down to is there is an inherent double standard of no performance enhancement in sports. And we're not going to fix that because to a certain extent, we live in a performance enhancement society or what would be considered performance enhancement. So I, I think when, when we talk about the questions at the beginning, can we argue that performance enhancement uh, can ethically justify greatness? I think what we've talked about is in a lot of ways it can. However, is it worth it depends mm -hmm. on the societal value of the competition inherent in the uh, field itself that we're talking about and what it does to the individual. So whereas music... Right. And, and is... Yeah, go ahead. Does the individual have a choice in, right. in this? Did A-Rod take performance enhancers because he wanted to be better or because other people were forcing him and pressuring him that he had to be better? Is it a choice if to maintain your standard of performance, you have to keep up with the Joneses. Right. Exactly. Right. So I don't know exactly. if that's considered pressure. So we have to look at the systemic effects. Right. Right. If we can put aside, say, let's say the cheating aspect for a second and say, you're not cheating anymore, you're just enhancing. We talked earlier about harm. How would you feel in terms of, we talked about the recovery piece. So I'm using steroids to get back to my normal self. Um, someone who's using something more uh, uh, in a healthier way and they're cycling on and off things. Do you care if they use it in an unhealthy way to create a greater performance in a shorter career span or lifespan because they actually are doing harm to themselves? They're choosing to do it. They're being paid to do it, but it really is harming them. Right. Absolutely. Are you okay with that, or do you just want the first version of, hey, use things responsibly that help you out, but don't go crazy? Right. I think if you are harming someone, if someone is uh, taking so so many performance enhancers that say it is affecting their future ability to father children, or mm -hmm. uh, that they are going to have degenerative nerve problems later in life because of it then no that's not worth it because you are harming yourself for uh, a temporary gain that really you are doing largely at the behest of other people and so if there is going to be an ethical standard of performance enhancement it has to be at that level where it is about returning people to the norm and not uh and not doing anything that causes long-term harm. So I guess that's the interesting component. And I think I know kind of where you're going from a deontological aspect, that person might say, 
I don't care if I don't live that long because what I want to do is be the best person I can be, maximize my earnings, maximize my my legacy, my you know what I want to do, and you can't tell me if it's good or bad for me. And I think Andy to your point, the the system would rather we say no, the universal law is everybody can choose but responsibly mm-hmm. because we don't want the the ramifications of rampant poor choices of of drug use but i think that's a really interesting because no one would do that with a musician per se no one no one would go oh well let's let's lay off that much cocaine mm-hmm. let's well I, I mean i think we kind of would like we we talked about this on our rock hall of fame uh podcast like if we could have saved Jimi Hendrix and he would have continued to make music for another 20, 30 years, wouldn't we want that? Well, but I think the premise is, does it matter what we want if the other person wants something different? Right. If it is a choice, as you said, and they're not being forced to do it, but then you're like, you know, do we try to still protect people and their integrity when they're not looking out for themselves. Right. Do we do we keep someone from harming themselves when their actions are are harmful? I mean, that's the Robert Downey Jr. thing. Right. Even when they don't agree with it. Right. Right. Um, I think that's that's the interesting systemic problem is I don't think the system wants us to not use drugs because we're harming ourselves. I think right. it it has that messed up mm-hmm. um cheating sullying component right competition component when i think to what joe is saying if we could get it to where the system is looking at performance enhancement to go we recognize you want to do whatever you want to do but there is a limit Mm -hmm. to which we will allow you to do that not only balances the competitive Mm -hmm. nature but also allows you to be a long living healthy human Mm -hmm. being that doesn't cost the system more money down the road that's probably the compromise where you balance utility of this person still going to be able to regress to the mean, mm-hmm. recover, corrective, but also have the choice to do what the person wants to mm-hmm. do deontologically with some boundary limitations. We're, we're pretty far into this podcast and I don't mean to open a new window that could take us longer. Um, but Andy, JB, what do you think about uh, as technology improves uh, genetic manipulations or improvements on the hardware you're born with and whether that's body stuff, whether that's brain stuff. And with so that question, that we are going to, to cut off this episode right here. You can join us why, for the second half where we dive right into that question. I get to talk about Star Trek for a minute, which I'm very happy about. It is brought up again that I don't know how many home runs Babe Ruth hit and lots, lots more, including JB and I going through each of the different ethical schools of thought and a final conclusion as to whether any of them actually can support an ethical case for performance enhancement under the guidelines that we've set up. Join us there in the second half and we will see you on the flip side.